Hey, it's Dan Harmon from Harmontown. I want to tell you about an exciting new podcast coming to Feral Audio called Launch Left. Rain, Phoenix, and Moon Zappa are going to interview extraordinary minds, mavericks, and pioneers in their fields. This season, Launch Left is going to celebrate nonconformists like Michael Stipe, Shepard Ferry, Spike Jones, Mario Batali, and many others. And those guests are also going to spotlight their favorite left-of-center emerging artists. So listen and subscribe now at feralaudio.com slash left, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can do it however you want, man. That's the nonconformist part. Guys, I want to tell you about a great sponsor I have, Bompus. They're premium high-performance athletic socks, and they're so comfortable you're never going to want to take them off. And because socks are the number one requested item in homeless shelters, for every pair of socks purchased, Bompus donates one pair of those to those in need. Almost one million pairs donated to date. 15% off the first purchase of four or more socks. Plus free shipping. So go to getbompus.com slash feral and buy some comfortable socks. music there that is a band called Les Blanks. You should check them out. Check out more of their stuff at lesblanks.com. They're super duper awesome times music. If you haven't listened to the show before, it is just what the title implies there. It's a conversation with me. I talk to an interesting person, somebody far more interesting than I, and we learn some things. We have some laughs. It's a good old time. Today, I talk with surrealist doll maker, alt model, uh, Cajun, voodoo person, ugly Shyla. She's a really interesting person, and it's a very, very interesting conversation. Before we get into that, I just want to... I saw... Sometimes I ride the bus in L.A., because... Uh, it's an act of uh, self-loathing, really, in L.A. Like, if you ride the bus in any other city, uh, like Chicago, where I grew up, the bus is filled with, um, you know, normal people. In L.A., it is... It can get pretty gritty. It can get pretty... <laughs> There's... You can guarantee you're going to be smelling some B.O., some urine, and... And look, look on the seats before you sit, because I knew I had a friend who sat in Bumpy, and believe me, it was my friend Mike Olson. You you don't want to sit in Bumpy, you don't want to do that. Always look on the seats of the bus before you sit down. I sat on gum once, hot, gooey gum. But uh, I was riding on the bus, and I saw a guy in a Gap shirt, and I was so relieved. I was so relieved. I was like, thank God. Because I, I, I don't know. A gap might not be. I was worried that they weren't getting the message out there. And thank God some individual took it upon himself to be brave enough to wear a gap shirt. To say to the world, hey people, in case you haven't walked down the street and seen a gap store in almost every neighborhood they're out there. Support them. They need your help. 
So thank God. So hey, everybody, put on your goddamn Gap shirt and let's support them. Forget about protesting Syria because Gap needs help. <laughs> Forget about Syria. Gap. Gap. I was almost happy Syria happened. Uh, and when this airs, who knows if it's we've bombed them. It'll be interesting to see how that pans out. But I would, I wish, like, I was so sick of hearing about that fucking Miley, Miley Cyrus shit, which I didn't, I refused to watch. Uh, and that other guy, thick, thick guy. Like, that, people talked about that shit for weeks. I was just like, fuck, let's just bomb somebody just so we can stop talking about this fucking bullshit. It amazes me the things that people get angry at. Okay, granted, maybe it's slightly hypocritical that I'm angry at how people keep posting about it. But it's just like, who is, how, you, if you're angry or upset about that situation or anything pop culture oriented, drop on your knees and thank the God that doesn't exist that your life is that fucking privileged that that's what you can afford to be upset about. <laughs> it's like that or you're just really stupid and you should take your own life because you shouldn't be up. Like if you're gen genuinely seriously concerned about any of that stuff, then you are living a life that is not worth living. The end. Or don't go find, go climb on top of a mountain and meditate and find some sort of peace within yourself and the universe and move on. <laughs> and by the way, I want to say, and I, I'm a big fan of the Dalai Lama. I think he's pretty awesome. But any, I would say he's probably an enlightened being, if not really goddamn close to it. But I think if I lived on a mountain and didn't have to deal with the day-to-day -day ins and outs of life and people... I think I would be pretty at peace, too. Like, if I hide out in my apartment for, like, a week, and I don't see anybody, and I just kind of be weird and do what I gotta do, I feel all right with the world. And uh, I'm like, yeah, you know, humanity's pretty... But I t once, if the Dalai Lama had to go wait tables fucking once, that shit would be gone. <laughs> he would, he'd be like, take the middle path, my ass. Fuck these people. Uh... <laughs> I, I, you know, Dalai Lama, walk through a mall, walk through one mall at Christmas season and see if you're enlightened. That's what I, I, I challenge you, Dalai Lama, walk through a mall, drive through the streets of Chicago. That's w worse traffic and worse drivers than Los Angeles. Do that. And I will see if you're still enlightened. I would even say Buddha, come back to earth. And see if you can handle one reality show without saying what the fuck is wrong with people. Uh, I'm going to get on with the show now <laughs> that I've ramble-dambled. Ramble-dambled. Uh, here is the interview with Ugly Shyla. She's a very interesting person. I hope you enjoy it. Here we go. Before we and 
I to start, I I think it's best that you describe, if you wouldn't mind, the work that you do because I think you're going to do a lot better job articulating the that than I would if. Yeah. What you do? Trust me, I have a hard time articulating it, so it's not easy for other people to articulate it. Um, it's it's specifically the dolls is are very fascinating to me. I think they're um, I I guess can you they're beautiful, but then there's a very sort of a darkness to them as well. Is that accurate? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And uh, but it and how did that what brought you to the place that you were like did you do other art before that and then you sort of arrived at the dolls or did you always sort of start uh fucking around with dolls um i was like always creative even when i was a little a little kid because um i'm an only child so i think when you're an only child you kind of just figure out ways to amuse yourself so i was always pretty creative with stuff and then um my mom and my grandma both would collect kind of uh, strange-looking, like, odd dolls. And I remember my grandma had, like, um, little taxidermied alligators in her house. And I come from a Cajun family, so, like, Cajun people tend to like odd stuff. So she had, like, collections of troll dolls and, like, really pretty dolls and then, like, this taxidermy stuff mixed in. And then my mom always collected, like... uh old kind of odd vintage toys and Halloween stuff. And one year, um, when I was 16, I decided to try and make my mom a doll for her birthday. And I basically haven't stopped since then. (laughs) And that's, uh, did did the doll you make for your mom look like the dolls you make now? Or was it totally different? Oh, no. Like, my mom's basically a 61-year-old goth. So it was basically (laughs) the same thing. I still, I... Yeah, I have her up on my side. It's my crippled doll. So that was the first doll that I ever made. It's it's interesting because uh, I think a lot of people, uh, it's a subjective point of view, but would say that they look kind of dark and eerie. And but uh, and it's interesting because a lot of the artists I talk to who tend to lean that way uh, are more, they're very jovial and like, like they're not these misanthropic people. They're very like, yeah, that's what I do. Oh, totally. Like I have... I have a totally goofy sense of humor, and, like, people gripe at me on Facebook because I tend to uh, to gripe about, like, the, the ills of the world and things I don't think are right, and they're like, oh, you're so negative, and you're so mean, and, like, if you met me in person, I am the goofiest person you will ever be around. You have absolutely no clue. Well, it's, it's too, and, and I've read a lot of your your musings about the world and it's like and I also am very much but but in that vein but a lot of times but it's like but if you're saying things that you truly feel or, or that are true in the world it's not always a dark thing if it's and, and negative if it's the fucking truth you know yeah it's, it's the truth it's really the truth yeah and it's it's just but people I think people like to um I don't know it's, if you agree with this. Like our very Western American world is very like, let's have a happy ending and let's pretend this isn't happening. <laughs> it's like, let's just- oh no, totally. Like me and my boyfriend were discussing that a while back. Like, what really weirds me out is that like people my mom's age, uh, like I said, my mom's sixty-one right now. Really, 
like, I guess them seeing Vietnam and them seeing, you know, like economic hardships and, you know, kids, even if you were kind of affluent growing up, then didn't have like a lot of things like they don't have as many things as kids have now. So like they're a little bit more grounded into reality. But people my age, like my mom understands totally that like politics is basically a game and whoever has the most money wins and all that. But like, I know so many people, I'm 33, like my age or younger that like totally thinks like everything that is presented to them is like the absolute truth. And like they want, I'm like you, they want like the happy ending. And it's like, that's not the way things work when you know that like, the the showers are really gas chambers like you would have the same point of view that i do like they just they don't want to accept it yeah it's interesting like what you say about people just accepting things as they're presented to them i see you see so many things like articles people post and i'm like did you bother to research and see if there was any validity just because it's in some shitty website (laughs) it's like did you go i know because they saw it on the internet like it's it got it just it's one thing that it's a 16-year-old doing it, but when it's someone your age, you're like, my God. Yeah, it's it's because it's, there's some people I know who go and start searching further to see if there's truth in things. And then there's – I guess it's just easier to believe something without – even like photos. You see these photos, and I'm like – is it's like, did everybody forget Photoshop exists? <laughs> like, we can do anything. I know, I know. But uh, and then now you said something that interests me. But uh, you said that you're um, Cajun, and that's something I think uh, I don't. I think people don't really fully understand. They have a lot of misconceptions about that culture. Is that correct? Yeah, and you don't see really a lot of like, especially in the media, people who look like me or who are into alternative culture that are Cajun. So. To a lot of people, it's kind of a, a anomaly. And if they are Cajun, they usually try and hide the fact and like uh, kind of hide their accent down. Because I mean, even now, I get really stupid questions from people. Like, you know, when you went to school, did you go there in a boat? And I'm like, no, we actually have land there and WalMarts. And like, they'll ask, you know, did, well, did you have shoes? And I'm like. Yes, and sadly, the stereotype's right that I don't like to wear shoes, but I do wear shoes. <laughs> but yeah, and what do people th- think uh, that you're like biting the heads off chickens and all that, doing voodoo? That all- I, 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 well, I actually do practice voodoo, so that, that I, like it I totally plays into another stereotype. But I mean, and I, but I think is it is is because I am not. Uh, I mean, voodoo is something presented in films and whatnot. It's always like this seedy back room in a shack in a, you know, and it's the guy who's, you know, doing something demonic that's going to cast a spell. And, you know, it's always the... Which we will do if someone angers us enough. But it's always... I'd be totally lying if I said we didn't And and what what like because I don't really know anything about it. I just know that you know. But it, I assume like just like because it's presented in film in such a way, it's like like it's like Satanism. It's probably it's like oh, it's not this evil weird thing that everybody thinks it is. Yeah, totally. Like I mean, the media's like kind of sensationalized it when actually some of our beliefs are 
very similar to um, our pantheon is kind of similar to like Judeo-Christian or Catholic beliefs. Like we believe in a head God and just as Catholics believe in like that the saints or the angels or whatever kind of intervene or Jesus intervenes with you. We believe that God kind of does stuff, God stuff in heaven, basically. And the Arisha or the Loa come down, and that's kind of who you deal with on a one-to-one basis. And is and I mean, a lot of us. Go ahead. Oh no, I, I was you. I was interested what you were saying. What you were gonna say? Um, uh, a lot of us too, like um, depending on what. It's kind of the uh, easiest way I can explain it is that uh, it's sort of like zodiac signs a little bit. You're born underneath a mother and father, Arisha or Loa. And depending on what Arisha or Loa you're under, it dictates sort of like what behaviors you can and can't do. Like, say, my mother's a child of equal law, so it would be acceptable for her to drink. It'd be totally okay for her to drink and, like, cuss and, and you know, party it up. But I'm a child of Obatala. Yeah, you may be. <laughs> um, I'm a child of Obatala, and we're not allowed to, like, drink or do drugs or smoke or anything like that. So I think people have a misconception that, like... It's just kind of wild, do whatever you want kind of religion, and like we have no sense of morals and ethics, and like some of us are, are so anal retentive about morals and ethics, like we actually get on people's nerves. Do you drink and all that? Do you do any of that, or no? I've, I've never drank. I've never smoked a cigarette. Sometimes we uh, do a thing where when we're cleansing people, you put a cigar backwards in your mouth while it's lit, and blow smoke on people. So I have to do that sometimes, but I've never smoked a cigarette. I've never drank a beer. I've never done any kind of illegal drugs. And, uh, no promiscuity, nothing like that. And that and that's all because of because of your religious beliefs. Um. Well, again, it's kind of like with a zodiac sign, like the way they kind of figure out. They'll do a, a cowrie shell reading on you, but usually you can tell how someone behaves what Arisha or Loa they fall under because, like, I've always acted that way. Like, I've never had the desire to drink or smoke or sleep around or whatever, and, like, um, you'll always kind of have the personality of the Arisha you're under, so that's usually how people can kind of spot and tell what who your mother or father, your spiritual mother or father is because, you know, like, uh, they basically say that, like, nobody likes children of Obatala because we know it all, and the most annoying part is that we're actually right. So, <laughs> like, basically, that's why we aggravate everybody so badly. And it's interesting, too, because I think, you know, I think along with, because you do a lot of uh, alternative modeling as well, and, and like, there's just always an assumption that people who are in a certain uh, umbrella, uh, like labeled umbrella of alternative or whatever, that there's going to be this like, oh, they sleep around and they're probably bisexual and like do a lot of crazy drugs. Oh, yeah, they they drink and like, I even remember like uh, going to clubs and stuff with girls who are like on Suicide Girls or on God's Girls or something and like having people come up to them and proposition them and they're like, look, just because I'm erotic model does not mean I want to go home with a stranger. Like, and it's usually normal people that I guess just kind of don't understand how things work. It also says a great deal about that 
normal person how probably repressed they are. <laughs> like they're like, ooh, the crazy. Yeah, exactly. I rem- I remember one time in Houston being at something where I was with some friends that like um, were erotic models, and my mom was actually with me because I was performing at something, and like there was a straight couple, like I guess thinking it's a swingers thing, and like my mom overheard them, and she's like, "Look." you need to get out of here because none of these girls are going to put up with you trying to, you know, bring them home or whatever before, you know, something happens to you and for your own safety, you need to not do that in here. Yeah, it's it's interesting that the, the squares are the more, uh, <laughs> it's like those very, like, straight and, like, almost Christian-minded people tend to be that they're, I think there's just, their their freak is really bubbling up and it's, it's like they're looking. Oh, the- totally, like, they don't get to exercise it every day like the rest of us. So, like, when it comes out, it's really, really pronounced. Now, when you would you say would you say that like uh, your art sort of helps sort of explore a lot of those, or you know, when you said like get it out of there, it's like a lot of people just find that expression in their art of getting things out too. Do you find that? Um, well, a lot of my artwork, again, since I practice voodoo, is. Uh, kind of occult inspired or inspired by things I see in like occult workings and uh, a lot of those I guess are kind of messages that I have to relay from the spirit world into the into the this world because some of my artwork I guess maybe if you kind of look into it could come off almost as preachy about things but it's basically things that I've seen or been told about or whatever in workings like spiritual workings are also I'm pretty much a true surrealist and I work off of my dreams and working with your dreams and being into the cult kind of goes hand in hand. So a lot of it, um, I don't really do a lot of artwork. That's basically like something I want to do rarely once in a while. I'll make something that like is something to kind of get my feelings out or, like if it's something I want to make for myself, like that's pretty much a rare occurrence. Yeah, and where do you? Because I read, uh, I guess it was on your website where you're saying like you're more of a channel, or it just. And do you know where it comes from, or is it? Do you? Um, once in a while, it, um, I'll actually see like an Orisha or a Loa in a dream. Um, about something, and then sometimes it's just, uh, like, with the, uh, I do a lot of imagery of, like, murdered children or child abuse, um, which people, for some weird reason, mistakenly think it's pro-child abuse. Again, I guess just because I look different. If I was a soccer mom doing it, then people would think it's the greatest thing alive, but (laughs) when you're weird and you do it... They automatically assume you're being really morbid, and I'm like, no, I actually, like, have a message to it, and uh, I'll have dreams about, like, murdered children or whatever, and it's just such horrible imagery that, like, I basically want to get it out of my head, and it's something I think that maybe other people need to see because they kind of want to brush it under the uh, rug, and I get a lot of flack from it, and... um I think it's because people don't really want to actually look at, again, they don't want to look at bad things in the world. They don't want to actually admit that that happens, that children get murdered or whatever. So, like, people get really upset over it. Why do you think people don't want to look at that? Like, why don't people want to accept that those kind of things happen? 
I don't know. I'm like you. I think we we're just kind of breeding this culture to like to be sort of very superficial and I notice a lot of the kids kind of like the generation that's kind of coming up under me is very superficial and self-absorbed. I mean, not everybody, thank God, because like I have a lot of people that are say like 15 that write me on Facebook and stuff, especially girls that are really intelligent and like actually have a grasp of what's going on. But I think the, a lot of like, say the suburbanite kids that aren't really exposed to everything you can possibly be exposed to and kind of make their own decisions that way tend to just not want to look at that. Yeah, it it does. It seems like, and at least within my lifetime, it seems like this period right now, people are more obsessed with emulating celebrities. Like I see it's, and it's really weird to me because you see people in a lot of their Facebook uh, pictures and stuff like kind of posing like you see people pose on red carpets and, and it's just, yeah, like, yeah, totally. And it's just like, you're in some shitty dive bar. Why are you acting like you're Beyonce? It's like, it's so weird. To yeah. Me. Well, it's really weird too, because like the girls like me who are like these like, no-name alt models that have just been around for, like, a while. Like, I mean, like, the guy who does, like, the infomercials on TV is more famous than I am. It's not like I'm a quote-unquote famous person. Not really even in the underground, at least I don't think I am. And... I'll come across, like, girls copying my photo shoots, and it's like, you're copying someone that's not famous, and it's not like I've made a lot of money from this, and, like, again, it's, like, younger people, and it's, like, that's really frightening that a lot of, like, people even just slightly younger than me can't come up with, like, really wonderful ideas. Like, I hardly, I don't know if it's, I'm just getting jaded or what, but rarely I'll see artwork anymore where I'm like, wow, you know, that's something really new or, or like a really just brilliant medium or they really have something to say. Like pop surrealism is so popular right now because it's like people painting zany pictures of like Yogi Bear. And it's, it's like people don't want to face any kind of like truth anymore. It's, it's getting really frightening. That's an interesting point you make because I, and you, I think you sort of put your finger on it because I felt like I've always been really bothered by like if I walk into a gallery and I'm like, there's at least fifty percent at least that's a and I think that's saying low like imagery of pop culture stuff and I'm like is this all out of your entire life this is all you have to draw from is a fucking uh, cartoon? <laughs> it's like out of all your yeah, life experiences well, boiled down to... Th I know, like, is that the only thing you can draw on that, like, that gives you any kind of feeling is, like, Yogi Bear with, like, a knife-looking kind of subversive and whimsical. Yeah, it's it's really... And it's and I also feel like, you know, Andy Warhol did a lot of that stuff, so which is, like, what, 45, 50 years ago? Probably yeah, and and I'm just kind of like, anytime I see something like that, I'm just I'm kind of perplexed, like uh, how somebody hasn't gone. Let us move to the next <laughs> next thing. I know, I know. It's it's really strange. Like we were passing a gallery. Like I recently moved to Austin, like about I guess six months ago, and we were passing a gallery window where there was a table 
with a bunch of mason jars with like things in it, not even cool stuff like broken glass and nails or anything, just like stuff in it. And that was like one of the installation pieces. And I'm like, really? That looks like someone's canning kitchen. <laughs> now, do you feel though that this may be, because in a weird way, like if I go to shows and I see uh, performers who are really lousy, I'm like, oh, thank God, like you're making it easier for me it's like do you feel like this yeah it helps makes your work seem all the more original and better well a lot of the dark artists right now like we were talking about that the other day online um a lot of us have a really hard time showing things now there's only a few galleries that'll carry our work like um there's one uh, in L.A. that I'm about to send some stuff out to, Antebellum Gallery, which carries mainly gay, fetish, and kind of like um, uh, sort of subversive work, or like if you're kind of a gender bender or whatever, they carry a lot of my work, and they're really awesome. And there's a few other galleries like in L.A., but like here in Austin, I assume because it's quote-unquote the capital of weird, that, like, looking the way I look and also making the things that I would, that I wouldn't have a problem um, finding galleries. And, like, all the gallery stuff is sort of, like, hipster. Like, I've taken a branch and painted it, like, five colors and put a $500 price tag on it. Like, it's actually, in a good way, it's pa it's pushed us back into the underground. But that's also bad in a way because... Uh, Business-wise, you know, you want more exposure. I mean, I look at art just like it's a business. I have to advertise it. I have to make enough money off of it, which, thank God, I'm one of the few artists that kind of consistently sells. I know a lot of them are having to, like, drop prices or having really hard times and struggling, which just, again, really sucks because they don't make things that are happy and fit into, like, the little pop art or the little, like, hipster art niche. But, um, you know, it's so much easier if you have places other than yourself that is supporting your artwork or places where you can show it other than having to spend hours online, like advertising your business uh, slash art all day. Are you finding that, like, uh, the Internet is helping not just you, but artists in general who would maybe not have an easier, as easy time? getting uh, becoming a oh no like totally it has i mean where i'm originally from is jennings louisiana which is three hours from new orleans and three hours from houston and it's not like it's not really a backwoods town it's it's a small town and like we have stuff in it but you know obviously um there weren't a ton of people that looked like me or did what i did and but surprisingly enough like i find cajun people are a little bit more accepting of if you're weird and, like, here we live sort of in North North Austin where um, it's a little bit – I mean, I'm originally from the ghetto. Like, we're in, a like, a slightly kind of, uh, like, suburban neighborhood. And, like, if I go to the grocery store, I notice people stare at me and, like, they'll just stand there and openly stare. And I'm like, you know, who would have thought the quote-unquote capital of weird? And everybody's like, oh, it's just because you're in North Austin. I'm like, no – when I go down 6th Street, I don't see a lot of people that look like me. It's, it seems, too, with, like, just how much 
is accessible. Like, you can see fucking anything on the internet, whether you want to or not. Like, if you're on Facebook, people... It's, like, weird to me that people are still like, look at the weirdo. It's like... it's like Yeah, I know! It's like, just put on the fucking television, man. It's like, it's, it's just... I don't... Why ever, we're... It seems like we should be becoming less and less weirded out by shit. And I feel like... Less jaded about things, or more jaded about things. And, like, it's sort of strange here because, like, the level of weird is kind of strange. Like, you'll see a guy with a tattooed face, but, like, he just has on a T-shirt and jeans. Like, you, or you'll see a girl with colored hair and she has no makeup on. So, like... Me being, like, a combination of, like, which to me, most of the alternative people I know, like, especially girls, have, you know, like, a lot of makeup on, and we're wearing not, like, inappropriately weird clothes, like, if you're shopping in Walmart or something, but, like, you'll have on a band t-shirt and, like, cut-up jeans, and, like, I have a side cut, and the other side of my hair is really long and blue. Like, you don't really see people that have, like, all of the odd elements together. It's kind of like... Okay, I'll get a tattoo on my face, but I'll dress like a uh, like a 1940s businessman. Like it's just, I don't know. It's weird. It is really weird in a bad way. Yeah, I, I have a tattoo on my face, but I'm dressed like a 40 like 1940s minstrel, like monkey organ grinder, and I'm riding a big bicycle. But if I got off of the big bicycle and put makeup over the face tattoo, you'd never notice me. It's, I don't know, it just boggles my mind. Yeah, I feel like in a lot of ways, and we have a, I would say, a degree of that in L.A. of this, I just feel like we're in this transitional time where it just feels like there's a confusion. And like, my, like in Echo Park, the, the uber hipster neighborhood here, I just feel there's not a genuine quality to the way they're dressed it's more of a look at me hey please come on hey i'm here look at me it's like it's, yeah yeah and it's like that's what i feel like with that mix mash you're talking about it's just like you're so desperately searching for something and it's like one day you're just gonna be like oh what did i do it's like it just seemed like such. it's like that here like someone will be dressed in like a wife beater and jeans but they have that horrible like ironic facial hair that sticks out for like four miles and it's like, if you just would not put mustache wax in that, you would look like every other guy on the street. Yeah, it's 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 a perplexing and a, a time. <laughs> it's like uh, it's like a look at me thing, but look at me, uh, but I can do something with this. I can put makeup over it or comb it down where when I don't want people to look at me or I need to get a job, then then I can totally weasel into regular society. Yeah, and I think, you know, I, and I'm not... I'm not a guy who dresses outlandishly or anything, but I definitely feel like if it's a cl- it's clear to tell who's being genuine, and it's like, oh, that's who you are, and that's awesome, opposed to the person who's like, yeah. hey, I gotta please, you gotta notice me. <laughs> it's like, there's a- please look at me, please. It's uh, it's because I felt like I and 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 then I question if I'm getting old because I'm like ah, when like. 20 years ago, it seemed like people were just being really genuine about it. But maybe that's just me being an old guy now. No, I think it's totally like, and I I wonder too if some of it, like I've noticed most of the people that are really the like, please look at me, please notice me people. It's kind of like a phase they're going through. And in like 10 years, they'll have like a litter of kids and a house in the suburbs and like think they still got it because they got that one tattoo under their eye. 
Like, I, I think maybe they get it all out of their system being like really noticeable. And like, I've pretty much looked the same way that I do now since I was 15. So when I go out, I don't even like realize really in my head that I'm weird looking. And I, I think maybe these people kind of are like getting their weirdness like out of their system so that they can eventually settle down. And like, I'm seeing a lot of, um, which is kind of good in a way because it's weeding out the posers. But, like, you don't see a lot of people who are basically, like, outlaw artists anymore, like, outlaw musicians or anything. Like, thankfully, I have a, a network of friends that, again, they don't really look totally odd, but they basically kind of live, like, an outlaw lifestyle. Like, I do not see a lot of, like, kind of outlaw people here. Like, you know, they dress in a way that they they want, like, a lot of a lot of the people here just generally across all the scenes are like sort of like look at me look how I'm dressed and look at how much I don't care hey are you looking at me how much I don't care do you see that I don't care kind of thing yeah like that's just really really strange congratulations it's the middle of the show you've made it this far thank you so much for listening to the show this far into it and not switching off to something else. Just real quick, before we get on with the show, I want to thank you for listening. If you, you can help us out here at Feral Audio, you can go to my page at feralaudio.com, Conversations with Matt Dwyer. If you could donate some money, it would be really helpful to, to the studio and to me as an individual. We, we work really hard and sacrifice a lot to bring you these shows. A couple dollars. Don't go to Starbucks once this week and uh, send us two dollars or a few dollars it really helps it keeps our lights on it helps us record it pays for gas for me to drive to interview people and various other things if you can't afford to donate i totally understand we're in tough times you can go to my amazon page you could buy some stuff you could buy some bullshit and you can uh we get a kickback of that also follow me on twitter matt underscore dwyer and you can hear about upcoming shows and maybe live shows that I'm doing, and I would greatly appreciate that. Also, review my show. Yeah, go to if you write a review, take a, a screen snapshot of it, give me five stars, say something nice. I will send you a bumper sticker. I have to get these bumper stickers made, but they're they're coming, and I will mail you a bumper sticker. Now back to the conversation. Oh, it'll be interesting to see what the the historians have to say about this this period. It'll, they'll just be like, "Oh, can we just erase it?" Yeah, just God, go go away from it. I even noticed when I traveled to um, Portland, my friend Shane Bugby did like a little mini tour of uh, artists around that area, and Portland was kind of like Austin. Like I'd see girls with like facial tattoos or some kind of like unusual facial piercing but they'd have on like just like a maxi dress you'd buy from walmart and i'm like that's that's really strange that like you'd put so much or they'll have a whole sleeve tattoo but they have no makeup on it's like you'll put that much effort and money into like tattooing yourself to change your appearance but like you can't slick on lipstick for the love of god It is. That's. The, I'm a southern woman. Like not wearing makeup to me, like that should be the first thing you do. And teasing your hair. <laughs> I don't go to the post office without 
having like total like French whore makeup on. Like that's that's proper in society. That's proper in Southern society. Yeah. What made you move to Austin? What was that decision? Did you um, did you live in New Orleans for a while, or am I nuts? No, like I said, I was um, three hours from there and three hours from Houston, so um, I was born and raised in Jennings, so, like, it was close enough to where, like, if we wanted to do, like, an event or something like that, like, three hours wasn't too horrible because I'd vend uh, horror conventions or gothic conventions or comic conventions or whatever with my work, and it's so much easier to be able to drive somewhere than fly when you're vending, especially dolls when they're... Most of my stuff's fairly small, but sometimes I'll make really big, like, delicate pieces, so it's impossible to fly with it. And um, I ended up, I met my boyfriend on one of my trips here, and uh, we decided to move in together. And plus, February before last, a tornado basically threw a tree into our trailer while we were um, sleeping Thank God, like, we were sleeping in one room because the heat had went out in the house. Like, this is Louisiana ghetto life. The heat went out in the trailer, and it was pretty much, like, freezing that night. So I told my mom I had just bought her another pug puppy. And I'm like, look, we only have one heating blanket right now. It's too late to go out and get another one. I'm like, y'all just crash in my bed because the puppy can't get cold. So, and the squirrel had her own heater in her room. So we hear some thundering and raining, which you hear godforsaken every week in, in Louisiana. And then we start hearing this rolling noise, which we thought was um, a tree limb on top of the trailer. And then we realized, like, it started like a helicopter. And I remember getting up and, like, my mom was laying in bed, like, with the puppy going, like, what's going on? And I stood in the doorway and said... Oh, my God. And, like, the minute I said that, a tree crashed into the kitchen. The back door flew open. It was just like a bomb went off. So I had to end up running through uh, all the broken glass in the kitchen because my squirrel was in the other end of the trailer to make sure that nothing fell in on the squirrel. And, like, she was terrified. Some of my cats, it took me all day to find them in the trailer because they hid so bad because they were so scared. And we had... um, we had to live in a hotel room for like three days, and then we finally found a rent house. And while we were in the rent house for like, I guess the entire week or like almost two weeks after the tornado, it kept raining and raining and having like tornado-like weather. And we're like, I just can't take this anymore because we have hurricane season too from God, like February to September. So every year you basically worry about your house getting blown away and losing everything you have. And I'm like, I can't take it anymore. So finally we moved up here and like the worst you have is like, we had a hailstorm, which I freaked out over. And my boyfriend's like, oh, that's normal. So I'm like, okay, I'm cool with that. Yeah, I guess it's pretty, uh, they don't have earthquakes or Austin doesn't really have that much, do they? And then. Like, I'm from Chicago originally, so it's like, well, you got blizzards, and if you live outside Chicago, you yeah. got tornadoes. It's like, and on a once in a blue moon, you do get an earthquake in, in Illinois. Yeah, and it's so weird how, like, you just mentally become accustomed to that. And my, my boyfriend, Jim's like, I don't know how y'all live every year, like, and the past few years have been really horrible since, like, um, Rita hit our area pretty bad. Our home wasn't damaged during Rita, but... Uh, like I said, the tornado pretty much just totaled our home. Um, 
But with Rita, we evacuated to the country in a family member's house. And, like, thank God we had gas in the car because we had to drive almost all the way to Oklahoma to get a hotel room. Because after we rode out the storm, which was horrible enough, like, we all post-traumatic stress from it. After we rode out the storm, there was, like, no gas, no electricity, no water. And we're like, we've got to get out of here. And, like, having to do that, like... We had to evacuate then after that for Ike and Gustav and that, like, it was like three uh, hurricanes in a row. Um, we're like, I just, I cannot put up with this anymore. It's ridiculous. Is it like that every fucking year you got it? That's, it's that bad or is it just kind of it easier some years or is it every year you're like, oh, fuck. Um, some years if it's not super hot, the hot, um, the hot weather since we're on the Gulf of Mexico, if it's super hot, it makes it easier for something to form. But it looks like since Rita, like almost every year, like there's been like storms you've had to evacuate for. And since after Rita and Katrina kind of, I guess, bankrupted the government or supposedly did, uh, you have to evacuate on your own dime. So when we evacuated for Ike and Gustav, like it was, I guess, a week like a week of like the storm hitting and stuff and then a few days and then a week they're like oh another one's going to hit so we ended up staying like i said on the oklahoma border for two weeks and like hotels we have a bunch of dogs cats and thankfully we didn't have the squirrel at the time but um having to pay for a hotel for two people um, food for two people because you can't really cook in a hotel room. Like we ended up spending $2,000 out of our own money, like on a credit card and you can't afford that. I mean, if that's going to happen every year and then some of the evacuations get to where they're mandatory, you're not allowed to stay. So like if you're, you don't have money, you're pretty much screwed. Like they tell you to get out of the house, but you have to go to like a shelter, which is, Louisiana in itself is pretty rough, so the shelters are pretty rough, and nobody wants to do that. But if you're broke, you have no choice. Jesus. <laughs> it's, it's absurd. It's really, like, it's really, really, it's, like, almost like living in a third-world country. And like I said, the government doesn't really give us assistance anymore. Used to, if, you'd, if it was a mandatory evacuation, they'd help you pay the bill. Or sometimes, uh, if you had good homeowner's insurance, they'd help you pay the bill. But... Now, if you don't have homeowner's insurance, and, like, I lived in the ghetto, like I said, in a trailer, so my house, like, wasn't even insurable, so I had no insurance when the tornado hit my house, and a lot of people down, like, south side where I lived, like, didn't have insurance on their homes, and the tornado basically kind of, like, you know, they skip around, uh, several people got hit, and I'm sure half of those people didn't have homeowner's insurance, so you're basically screwed. Boy, America, the place not to be fucking broke, It's it, which is just... Yeah, exactly, and what really sucks is everybody's broke there. Like, it's not a very affluent place, and like I said, I lived in Southside in the ghetto where all the poor people lived, and, like, you're just, you're stuck. God, it's... it's That's what happened in the Katrina... Go ahead. Oh, no, I, yeah, what, what happened with Katrina? The same thing, people just got stuck. Same thing, like, it was, like, Ninth Ward and all that. It was the really poor areas, and, like, those people don't have... You Usually, most people evacuate to, at, uh, about Dallas, because if you're in Dallas or sometimes Arkansas, 
you're you're pretty much in a safe zone. And I mean, let's see, from Jennings, Dallas was about six hours, so it would be eight hours if you're from New Orleans. And if you live in Ninth Ward and you're basically like on SSI welfare and food stamps, how are you going to have gas money, food money to travel eight hours and also rent a hotel room, which they sometimes jack up knowing that people are going to be coming in? I mean, you just don't. So people just stay in their houses. But usually you ride through it. People make sure you have food and guns and you just kind of ride it out. But, I mean, they got flooded out, so they were just totally in a bind. When you said guns, too, is it because it, does it get so – is that because it gets hairy and you got to – like becomes – Oh, t- totally, yeah. Louisiana, like southern Louisiana where I live is – it's kind of rough. I mean, New Orleans is really rough, too. People don't realize – I guess been. they think like – yeah, well, a lot of people, I guess, see, like, New Orleans on TV or Louisiana on TV, and they don't realize that, like, it's a very, very impoverished state. So, naturally, poverty and it being really, really hot kind of puts people's tempers on edge. Yeah, I mean, I've always been fascinated with New Orleans culture, and I'm definitely a fan of the music and food, but it's, I've never made it there, but I... It's like what I want, what I know about it is uh, I'm like, I'm wondering how romanticized it is, even in like shows like Treme, where it's like they show definitely the underbelly, but it's there's still seems like a bit of romance to it. It's like, I don't know, is it just, is it that? I think the reason they romanticize a lot of it is because we've always been kind of like a fairly poor state, so. All of us kind of do the best that we can with whatever we have. So everybody kind of stays sort of happy and, like, jovial and because uh, there's really not much else you can do about it. And, like, you know, we make our own amusement, basically. So people tend to be, you know, pretty happy and friendly there, but, you know, it's not, like, an ideal place where you want to live. Like, Treme, I think, showed, like, the Ninth Ward and stuff, but, again... It was kind of romanticized version of it where you didn't see, like, a lot of the really bad crime. And even in Jennings, where I live, the crime's getting pretty bad over there. Did you grow up with all all Cajun, all that Cajun eating and stuff? Oh, yeah, totally. Like, uh, where I'm from, um, they call it uh, Acadiana, which is, uh, it's like uh, the tiny version of Akadi where the Cajuns originally came from. And my area is basically called Cajun country. It's like the heart of Cajun country. Do you? Because I know I see sometimes on your thing uh, on your Facebook page a lot of stuff about uh, animal stuff. Are you not a vegetarian? Are you? Uh, no, there's very few vegetarians in Louisiana. Like I could go without eating meat, but I don't think I could ever give up seafood or like eggs and things like that. Yeah, I mean, but did you? So you grew up with all that, like jambalaya, all that stuff? <laughs> Cause, cause, oh put, yeah, totally. So you probably got some good recipes I could have. <laughs> <laughs> or oh yeah, I make pretty good jambalaya and gumbo, and like we have all that in the house. And I keep teasing my boyfriend that he's going to gain like thirty pounds living with me. I would, I would be thrilled. Like if, if. My girlfriend would be like, and by the way, you're you're gonna gain thirty pounds because I'm gonna make all this food. That- yeah, you're you're gonna get really fat now that we live together. I'd be. I mean, we 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 just moved in together, so 
I've already put on some pounds, but that's mostly because I like beer. But <laughs> but you were saying too, and because uh, you were talking about how your uh, your dolls are very fragile, and do you are they all porcelain? Like, do you use like porcelain dolls to make your dolls, or because I thought I read some of them were porcelain. Um, sometimes I will sculpt over like I already found porcelain doll, but I do like actual porcelain pouring of the doll or I haven't learned to sculpt directly in porcelain yet because it's, it's really difficult to sculpt directly in porcelain. So I'll usually make a, um, an original out of Sculpey cause it holds the detail much better than porcelain and have to make a plaster mold, which is my least favorite part and pour the stuff and fire it and all that myself. How long does that, because that seems pretty time, and porcelains can be pretty fragile. It seems like that would be fucking painstaking. Well, like, I tend to pour my molds pretty thick because, like, I really like the look of, like, the antique porcelain dolls that, like, you can shine a light in the back of them and see through them. Which, like, it's kind of one of those things that, like, only other people who do porcelain are like, oh, that's that's amazing. But if you do that, that means the thing's pretty fragile. So I pull, pour my molds really thick, so they tend to not break as easily. Because when you're pouring, um, pouring a mold with slip, you're basically uh, the mold absorbs the moisture from the clay, which is a liquid. So it's basically making like a shell of the mold. It's not like a solid piece. So if you tend to pour it a little bit thicker, like most people recommend to. Pour it about as thick as a nickel, and I'll do it about as much as like two nickels together. Uh, it makes it a little bit less delicate. What I have no idea, like what. So uh, you're pouring. What is porcelain? Because I have no fucking idea how that's made. It's basically like it's like a finer grade, like ceramic clay, like clay that they give you to play with, like an art school, like the muddy clay kind of stuff. But porcelain's like a much finer grade, and I guess kind of like a finer grit, like almost like talc, and um, it picks up a little bit finer detail, and when you do, if you're not direct sculpting in porcelain, like I said, it's super difficult, especially if you're doing one-offs, because if there's like a little bit of moisture in it, the whole thing's going to explode and like you're screwed. So um, with the porcelain pouring, it's basically a big jug of like, it looks like watery mud, and you pour it in through like a hole in the top where uh, it kind of tops off to the hole in the top of the mold and the plaster mold that looks like kind of like a two-piece sort of cinder block thing. And you let that sit for a little while till it's uh, about as hard as leather and open it up and let it dry out a little bit more and then cut off where the pour hole was at. They call that the spare. And you have to lay it down in... Um, either like uh, some sort of stuffing like you put in plush dolls or shredded up newspaper and you have to let it dry and then cut off. It'll make seams where the mold meets. So you have to sand that down really good, but not too much. And then if you're doing uh, like ceramic glaze, that's not too difficult. But if you're doing like really realistic looking China paint, which is what you see on like vintage dolls where they have like sort of rosy cheeks and, um, natural looking sort of like I guess face makeup on them um, when you do something like that you end up having to paint like the eyebrows will take like seven fire rings because you paint like one 
one coat of china paint, fire it, and then like paint in some little hairs and fire it, and then paint another coat over that and fire it, and maybe paint in a few more hairs. So sometimes those things have been like 20 times. How long does that take you? Um, the firing, like, after, like, the molds made, or if I'm pouring, I have a couple of, uh, molds of antique dolls, which is, the antique dolls are just so creepy looking on their own. <laughs> um, it'll take about, I guess about a week for the drying stuff, and then maybe two days for sanding and cutting off seams, and then... Uh, sometimes you'll do like a greenware firing so that you can, it doesn't dissolve in water, but you can still sand it a little bit. And then you have to let that dry off really good to sand down the seams and then fire it again to where it's hard like porcelain and then start doing painting. I like using glazes a lot for things. So the glazes aren't too many firings, like maybe at the most three. Um, with the China paint stuff, since a lot of my dolls are more kind of unnatural looking or like um, kind of over the top looking, I never really do natural makeup. So sometimes I can do the China paint in one to two fires. But like I said, people who do um, the antique reproductions, like God, the firings, and it fires for about, I guess, eight hours for China paint. So that's like eight hours of it cooking, and then you have to let it cool off in the kiln. So it's it's really time-consuming. Yeah, that sounds uh, like a—I I mean, do you t- have to have a lot of patience for that? <laughs> well, the odd thing is, like, I don't really have patience for anything, but, like, that's the one thing I kind of can keep my focus on. But the only thing that really gets on my nerves is having to wait between uh, drawing time, which is why I make, like— jewelry and do a lot of other stuff because I'm basically occupying myself while something uh, is basically drawing. Like I'm sculpting a bald jointed doll right now out of paper clay and I have to like put a layer on or tweak something and give it a couple days for it to dry and thankfully it's something small so it dries within a couple days like all the way to the core and then I can kind of go back to it because if not I'll just nitpick it to death. And and when you said earlier you were talking about you, you've seen some kids, like younger kids on the Internet, sort of, I don't, I don't want to say stealing, but inspired. Do, do you feel like that they... Oh, no, they're not inspired. They're, they're stolen from me and a bunch of other... I know several doll artists. I have a friend named Carrie Kate that started doing um, painted stump dolls, and a ton of people have ripped her off, and... Beth Robertson, I see a lot of Beth Robertson knockoffs. A lot of people are just blatantly stealing. My friend, too, Christy um, Bastet, she does a lot of the, she does basically porcelain repaints. She's the one, you may have seen some of her stuff. She uh, cracks the dolls and then glues them back together and puts, like, monster teeth in them and sort of hand dyes the clothes. And they're... um, kind of look like uh, basically like spookier versions of like a, a porcelain doll. They'll have like big like really sharp teeth sticking out. I'm sure you've seen probably her stuff everywhere and right now we're dealing with um, a couple places or knocking off both of our stuff at the same time and like uh, Oriental Trading Company just made a doll that basically looks exactly like hers for a Halloween prop. So even, like, larger companies, like Halloween companies, 
have stolen from her. Like she showed me two examples just here recently. So we're joking that like Halloween's not the season of the witch; it's the season of the thief. <laughs> Is there anything you could do? And she, that? <clears throat> really, like. Well, since I know voodoo, I can basically do something about it. But if you don't know voodoo, um, if you try and legally do something about it, uh, somebody knocked off one of my pendants for uh, Michael's, the craft store. But because they put black fabric instead of white, which is what I had, and slapped this really horrible witch hat on it, since the colors are different, there's probably not much I can do in the way like of legal-wise. Like, there's... I've noticed that even with larger corporations, copyright, trademark, and stuff means nothing anymore. If you look at, like, the Monster High dolls, like, I'm sure you've seen those a thousand times in Walmart. The little, like, spooky Barbie dolls uh-huh. that, like, Bratz dolls just came out with basically their version of that. And, like, Monster High dolls is probably a billion-dollar company, and if they can't do anything about it, I mean, how is somebody like me or Christy going to do something about it? God, that's fucking terrible. It's like artists struggle enough. It's like, you know, it's like you can't, some big corporation can't be like, hey, we want to give you some bread to for for your... Yeah, well, that's what Christy was frustrated about. She's designed things for companies. And, you know, why can't they just come to you and be like, look, we'll pay you a couple hundred dollars at least for, like, giving us an idea or something. Like, don't just directly rip it off. And the bad thing is... She has uh, a young daughter that she's like me. She's a full-time artist, and that's how she basically feeds her kids. So people are taking money out of a child's mouth by ripping it off. I've never never ceased to be amazed by the awfulness of corporations. And it seems like almost everybody I interview has some kind of tale of being like – I interviewed one guy, and he found his – he was in Target, and he saw his art on – like a piece of his on a cup, and he was like – He's like, well, we'll see if I can get my rent money out of them. It was like, just yeah, it's a, it's amazing. Well, if and like I said, basically, like I guess Monster High might be owned by Mattel. I'm not sure, but they're a billion dollar corporation, and like they were making five dollar knockoffs of those dolls, like calling them midnight something dolls and then brats came out with it. And like, if they can't fight it, like, what are independent artists supposed to do? Yeah, it's like you could even get a lawyer. It's like, but you're not going to be able to go up against a billion dollar company's endless supply of lawyers. Yeah, exactly. They, whoever has the uh, best lawyer and the most money wins ends up uh, being the case. Do you do you feel like when 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 you see people starting to copy your stuff, do you feel like, all right, I got to switch gears a little bit, or you just like fuck it, I'm just going to keep doing what I do. Well, basically, I have, like, no choice in the matter, again, because my stuff's kind of uh, occult-inspired or sort of ritual-inspired. I really don't have a choice in the things that I make, so I I don't have a choice in the matter, so I basically just keep plowing on. And usually the stuff they make is really bad knockoffs because my stuff's really labor-intensive, and they'll usually try and, like, knock it off by, like, repainting a doll. There's very few of them that'll copy something like my one-of-a-kind sculptures or something because it's just, it's too much trouble. Yeah, I'm sure those shitty dolls aren't made out of porcelain. <laughs> it's like, they're probably... Yeah. 
they're probably yeah that's like one of the issues bassett was having with like suing some people i think the dolls were made out of cheap plastic and hers are porcelain so like that's enough of a difference for people to get away with things or if they change the color of like the dress they can get away with it that's so so weird to me <laughs> it's like but and it's just like well you just can't have like make have someone design it like go to you have you design a line and then everybody would be happy and yours design would i know it's just it's really like and i can understand them not wanting to have like me design a line or something because my art, artwork's pretty controversial like not wanting to be associated with that but i mean christy's work isn't controversial and plus she has a child like why not go to her and ask her hey we'd like you to design something something for us well, yeah, I think the great thing though is that I, true, like original great work is always going to sort of find its way through. And I mean, I definitely feel like I mean your stuff is definitely known. It's not like you're some total nobody and doing this in a kitchen or something. In the your work is quite recognized. Well, the weird thing is, like, I I have no concept of. Like, my work being recognized or me being recognized, like, which is probably a good thing. Like, I tell everybody I'm just like a hood rat from Louisiana, so I guess hopefully that keeps my ego from being even more swollen than it is. I'm not, my ego's not that swelled headed about my art. It is about other strange things, but, you know, not about, like, my art or my modeling or anything. That's just like, oh, it's just something I do, no big deal. And uh, just to, to, before we wrap up, where can people find your work online? Because I know you have an Etsy page uh, where you sell a lot of your various arts. Uh, where are some other places? That, or what is the yes, Etsy page? Um, um, the Etsy address is actually uglyart.net, but the dot is spelled D-O-T. But if you type in Ugly Shyla. U-G-L-Y-S-H-Y-L-A in any of the search engines. Uh, on Etsy, I usually have my name tagged in there, so it's easy to find it that way. And um, I also have a website, uglyart.net, which is kind of more my portfolio site. Etsy's where the new stuff goes up. And I also happen to have a famous painting squirrel, a world-famous painting squirrel, and her work can be found on Etsy also under Painting Squirrel uh, is her shop name and PaintingSquirrel.com is her website. And all of her money goes to um, charities or animal charities or people in need of, say, someone's uh, animal is sick and needs medical care and they don't have money. We donate to things like that or things like um, foster the Texas foster children system uh, through the Lutheran Church, and uh, we even donated to, like, Hurricane Sandy and the Oklahoma hurricanes and things like that. How did you discover that your your pet squirrel paints? Um, she lived in my workroom, and, like, they're really frighteningly intelligent, and she kept picking up my brushes so, um, and kind of swinging them around like a mop like mimicking what I was doing. So one day I'm like, oh, okay, I'll I'll put you some food coloring on a brush. And, like, she started swinging around. I gave her a little piece of paper, and she started swinging around on there. And she she would do it every time I'd hand her the brush. So I had a friend named Pat Jones from Waco, Texas, that 
also uh, rehabilitated squirrel. She's handicapped in one hand, so that's why she's, they, they basically call it a forever squirrel. That's why she's a house squirrel. Um, she's non-releasable. So um, I wanted to show Pat one day, and so like, I gave her a piece of paper and a brush and like um, some food coloring, and I recorded it for like a few seconds on my camera and put it up on Facebook and I think it was originally a guy from the Routers Nudes Agency saw it and, like, posted it on his blog, and the local news did stories on us, and, like, she's been on CBS and ABC and NBC, and the squirrel's way more famous than I am. (laughs) And she reminds me of that every day. The squirrel's gotten a little cocky, hasn't it? Oh, the squirrel is a total diva. (laughs) Uh, is it, it's really bad when people come over like if they ask to take a picture of her she's actually learned to like stand still and pose for it i'm like that's really embarrassing my squirrel's that much of a diva is the is the coke like uh going on coke binges and having three ways <laughs> not yet thank god but like she does have uh a, who makes her wear hats named little stormy She'll make her, like, it's actually, like, a real little hat. Like, it has lining on the inside and everything. And I'm like, I don't have a couture hat maker. Wow, that's pretty awesome. People send her presents and, like, write her. She got a present a while back from a friend of mine. They bought her, like, a big $100 cat tree to play on. She doesn't live in a cage. She basically lives in our bedroom. And my boyfriend jokes that we live in her bedroom. (laughs) That's pretty. That's pretty astounding. Uh, it's and, a, and it's a, a gray squirrel. So they're gray squirrels tend to be like pretty jittery. So like, it, she's pretty much gotten an, uh, a pretty big ego. That's that's awesome. Well, thank you very much, Shyla. I uh, I can't thank you enough for taking out the hour to do this with me. Well, thank you so much for talking to me. Thank you very much for listening to Conversations with Matt Dwyer. If you enjoyed the show, tell your friends about it. Tweet about it. Uh, follow me on Tumblr, Super Duper Times. Matt, Super Duper Matt Dwyer Times, I think. I don't fucking Google me. Find it on Tumblr. I don't even know my own Tumblr name. You go on my Twitter, you can find me on Tumblr. Uh, and listen to the other shows on Feral Audio. Check out uh, Allie and George's show. That's really good. Check out Don Teeny. Johnny Pepperton show is really awesome. There's so many good shows. Tangentially speaking, check out that one. Check them out. Thank you very much for listening. Power to the people.